believer in Christ, have you been praying for divine intervention or God's help in real, overwhelming needs in your life? Have you asked Jesus to immerse and envelop you in the power of the Holy Spirit? The same power that he operated in to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead, and perform mighty miracles is available to you today through the same baptism in the Spirit that he himself received. The next few minutes can revolutionize your life as you learn how to be clothed with power from on high. Welcome to the Real Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lambert. In an hour when deception and apostasy is rampant on earth, the need for proclaiming the real truth has never been more desperate. Jesus prophesied, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Proclaiming the real truth of the written and rhema prophetic word of God that he is revealing in this hour is our goal. Affecting real change in the hearts and minds of believers in Christ in order to fulfill the purposes and plans of God is our purpose. Friends, Throughout this teaching series, I am leading you on a journey to discover the real truth about a matter second in importance to none except salvation itself, which is the matter of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Each segment of teaching is one vital link in that journey, which leads ultimately to the real truth concerning the role of the third member of the Godhead in your life, whom Jesus himself called the Helper, that is, the blessed Holy Spirit, the living waters of God. God says in Hosea 4.6 that his people, that means born-again believers, Christians, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance or lack of knowledge concerning spiritual matters not only is not bliss, but it is an open gateway to devastation and destruction. Jesus taught that the knowledge of the truth sets free, which inherently means that what you do not know of the truth will keep you in bondage. The unfortunate truth is that many born-again believers are being held captive by lack of knowledge of the truth and deceptions concerning this critical matter of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Now, some of the main points I am going to be establishing and providing scriptural support for during the course of this teaching are that, one, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate and distinct or adjunctive experience to the infusion of the Holy Spirit that takes place at the moment of salvation. Two, regeneration by the Spirit, that is, salvation, the new birth, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit are two distinct and separate workings of the same Holy Spirit. In salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within the believer, imparting the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. In the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the believer is enveloped by or immersed in the Holy Spirit, that is to say, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer, in contrast to in the believer, and imparts the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These facts are clearly supported by Scripture and are exemplified by the experience of Jesus Himself, who is our supreme model. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Jesus explicitly stated that the baptism in the Holy Spirit will be given to any believer who simply asks him for it. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace received by faith and often imparted through the laying on of hands by other anointed believers. Now, in this segment of teaching, we will examine the biblical initial evidence that someone has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of tongues. That is a supernatural enablement to speak in languages that the speaker has never learned. This is referred to in the Bible as unknown tongues. It is called unknown tongues, again, because the languages or tongues, glossa in the Greek, the spirit-baptized believer speaks are unknown to the speaker. It is not that the tongue is not known by anyone, but rather it is not known or understood or has been learned by the speaker. In fact, in many cases, and for all that can be determined definitively, and I personally believe, though obviously cannot provide proof positive, in every case, the language that the Spirit-baptized believer is speaking is indeed a known language or dialect somewhere, and by some anthropological people or race extant upon the earth somewhere. Moreover, historically, there have been recorded incidences when spirit-baptized believers have spoken publicly in a tongue unknown to the speaker, either in the form of prayer and praise or as a prophetic word, then interpreted, 
and the language spoken was the native language of or known by the others who heard the outward expression. Such an occurrence is sometimes referred to as glossolalia, based on the Greek word for speaking in tongues. We will examine the matter of speaking in tongues itself in chapter 13, but our main focus here is tongues as the initial evidence that someone has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In every case in which believers are reported to have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in the Bible, the initial evidence or indicator or sign of their having received it was that they spoke in tongues unknown to them. Moreover, there is no instance recorded in the Bible in which believers received the baptism in the Holy Spirit without receiving and manifesting the gift of tongues as the initial evidence of having received it. Although there is one incident, which we will examine later, in which it is not explicitly stated that those believers baptized in the Spirit spoke in tongues, but there is, however, implicit and historic evidence that they did and no definitive historic evidence has ever been presented that they did not. From the preponderance of scriptural record, it is extremely, and in fact, unimpeachably safe to conclude that the biblical pattern of the initial sign or indicator that a person has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Certainly, it's safer to say it is, than that it's not. I'll take it a step further and say that since the Holy Spirit is himself the true inspiration behind every word of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, and that he can be aptly described, based on what he does, as the expression and ultimate spokesman of God, it appears by this pattern, firmly fixed in Scripture, that a verbal eruption or bubbling forth of rivers of living water in human language through a believer who has just experienced immersion in the Holy Spirit is the form in which the Holy Spirit expresses or vocalizes the worship, praise, and adulation of God of which he consists in such moments. It's as if torrents of rivers of living waters of God in the moment of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, are suddenly and finally bursting through and overrunning the dam that has pent them up in the human vessel who has now released the oceans of the Spirit to come forth. Because He is the expression of God, language and the Holy Spirit are inextricably connected. So when you are talking about quote-unquote tongue-talking, you are actually talking about the Holy Spirit. As referenced repeatedly throughout this volume, while it is the Spirit-baptized believer who is the human agent or vehicle he is using to speak through, the source of the substance or essence of what is being articulated when a believer is speaking in tongues is the Holy Spirit. That being so, it is therefore possible to be engaging in blasphemy against the Holy Spirit when maligning or ridiculing the matter of speaking in tongues, particularly when attributing it to the devil, which Jesus specifically warned was an eternal sin that shall never be forgiven.
Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Matthew twelve thirty one through 32 More disconcerting with respect to the myriad of resistors of the Holy Spirit is that it is hardly necessary to point out that unforgiven sin is what separates mankind from God eternally, and no one with unconfessed and therefore unforgiven sin can possibly have eternal fellowship and communion with God which would mean eternal separation from God and everlasting damnation. You're listening to The Real Truth Podcast. Other episodes of the podcast can be found at realtruthradio.com. Critics and Resistors of the Holy Spirit Some critics of this line of teaching who invariably, in my experience, have never themselves had a release of the rivers of living water, as Jesus described it, in the form of tongues, meaning they've never spoken in tongues themselves, vehemently and vociferously reject and vainly attempt to repudiate these assertions. Such naysayers are of that category of deluded religionists Stephen identified as resistors of the Holy Spirit. Quote, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. End quote. Acts 7.51 Indeed, it was over the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the first 120 believers, who all spoke in unknown tongues, that the great persecution against the early church arose, which demonstrates in no uncertain terms the magnitude of the hatred and contempt for the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Godhead with which unbelieving and spirit-resisting religionists are possessed. More often than not, the varying degrees of contempt for tongues and the baptism in the Spirit with which Christian-claiming critics of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and its accompanying speaking in tongues are possessed is predicated in pride and arrogance and a lack of genuine personal brokenness commonly manifest with a spousal of intellectual Christianity, which is the product of mental assent of the gospel vis-a-vis the regenerative workings of the Holy Spirit in a genuine born-again believer's heart and life. Now, tongues are by no means the only sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but they are the initial sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14.22 that, quote, tongues are for a sign to unbelievers meaning an indicator testifying of the supernatural power of God manifested through the speaker. Tongues are not the baptism itself, 
but rather tongues are an expression of the Holy Spirit through the Spirit-immersed believer. Tongues are a part of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They are not separate and distinct from the Holy Spirit. Tongues are an expression of the Holy Spirit, not the believer speaking. One does not merely receive tongues with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Rather, tongues are an outflow of the Spirit himself, not the believer. As with the 120 and then 3,000 more on the day of Pentecost, the believer provides the vocalization. But the substance of the vocalization comes from the Holy Spirit. Quote, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and the implied subject is they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. End quote. Acts 2 4. The believer yields his, her tongue to the Holy Spirit, who provides the substance of the utterance. The way I like to explain it, and have done so in many meetings where I ministered the baptism in the Holy Spirit to many who received it as easily as drinking a glass of water, is that it's like this. When you buy a pair of shoes, the tongue comes with it. You don't buy a pair of shoes and then have to buy a pair of tongues to go with the shoes. The tongues come part and parcel with the shoes. Tongues are part and parcel of the Holy Spirit and the immersion in the Spirit. To refuse or reject the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the tongues he expresses through Spirit-baptized believers is to refuse and reject the person of the Holy Spirit. Enjoying this podcast? Please take a minute to pray if the Lord would have you to help us with the substantial financial burden of this program. We receive no grants or funding from any organization or government agency and no other means of support than the gracious and generous giving of our listeners. SLM Inc. bears the entire burden. In about 30 seconds, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash SLM Inc. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash SLMINC to give any amount. Thank you for your gifts, generosity, and graciousness. The Day of Pentecost now, the first of these incidents, as we want to examine, is that of the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which occurred 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. We actually made tangential reference to this incident in previous segments, when we were establishing other points about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In those segments, we established the fact that the original disciples were saved through the regenerative working of the Holy Spirit on resurrection evening, when Jesus appeared to them in the upper room, announcing and pronouncing peace between them and God the Father, and proceeded to breathe upon them, saying to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It was at this moment that the disciples were all infused with the Holy Spirit in their previously dead human spirit, giving life to it and filling it with the Holy Spirit. 
But it was 40 days after this, on the day of Ascension, 10 days before the day of Pentecost, that Jesus gathered the disciples together, and according to Luke's account in Acts 1, 4-5, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He went on to explain to them on that occasion that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them, that is, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and that the purpose and function of that power would be to make them effective witnesses of Him. One translation explicitly says, quote, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power to testify of me with great effect. End quote. Indeed, that is the purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, to empower believers to testify of the resurrected Christ with great effect, that is, with supernatural and effectual testimony. Indeed, in his first account, Luke writes that Jesus said to the disciples, quote, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of the Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, end quote. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about being clothed with supernatural power from on high that gives effectual and irrefutable testimony of Jesus and His resurrection as well as His resurrection power. Not many days later, as He had said, ten to be precise, following His ascension into heaven on the day of Pentecost, the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred. In Acts 2, verses 1 and following, we read, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowds came together and were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now we can see from this incident on the day of Pentecost, as with so many other incidences in the Bible, the Almighty's affinity for compelling theatrical staging. When God wants to make a point, He certainly knows how to make that point, in a way that is unequivocal and unmistakable. Surely, with the appearance of tongues as of fire distributing themselves and resting on each one of these early disciples, God was demonstrating that with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon believers comes a manifestation of the gift of tongues. 
And the result of these tongues of fire that rested upon each one of these disciples was that they were all filled or supercharged with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They spoke, and the Spirit gave the utterance. Now, it is important to understand and to extract from this text the fact that, amid all the controversy surrounding this matter of speaking in tongues, it was they, the disciples, who, quote, began to speak with other tongues, end quote. They surrendered and submitted their tongue which is one of the great benefits of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The ability to surrender and submit your tongue under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They themselves began to speak. And what they were speaking was a language that they had not previously known, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. It was the Spirit who was giving them the substance of what they were uttering. But it was they who were doing the speaking, using their speech faculties to speak the Spirit's utterances. And what they were speaking was not vain babble and gibberish, as some anti-tongues teachers allege tongue talkers are engaging in, but rather the Bible explicitly says that those who were standing by heard them speaking in languages that they themselves understood. Yet they also understood that these people did not understand those languages and dialects in which they were speaking, just nanoseconds prior to the outpouring, indicating that this was a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit as a sign to the supernatural power of God being poured out upon these believers in Christ. So we can see clearly from this incident on the day of Pentecost that tongues is the biblical initial evidence that someone has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In the segments that follow, we will examine other incidences that also demonstrate that incontrovertible fact. Friends, I hope you understand how vital this teaching is you are hearing. The real truth regarding the baptism in the Holy Spirit. This issue is the most critical issue to the Christian life after salvation itself. Now, if you want that baptism in the Holy Spirit I've been talking about and would like to know more about it, and how to receive it, I've written a book and even recorded an audio book of the book that will help you with that. The book title is Dunamis, Power from on High. Dunamis, Power from on High. Now, this concise book explains what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, the scriptural precedent and proofs regarding it, 
how to sort out the real truth from all the diverse teaching that exists concerning it based on Scripture, and it provides some simple explanation for receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you have not done so yet, I want you to have this special book and or audio book I've prepared for you to help you understand it and to receive this powerful working of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can also order the book and audiobook online on our website at realtruthradio.com where you can place your order by clicking on the PayPal donate button to use any bank card which does not require a PayPal account. Again, go to realtruthradio.com to place your order and where you can also listen to the recordings of all our podcasts. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Real Truth. I'm Stephen Lambert. Please subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, and visit realtruthradio.com to join our mailing list. sure to tune in to the next edition of The Real Truth. Until then, this is Stephen Lambert reminding you that with God all things are possible and all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose.